Welcome to Broken Laces. This is your host, Riley Smith, and today I'm going to be sharing my review and recap of the Collegiate Loop, which I hiked in August 2019. Last year, we covered the John Muir Trail in two episodes, including the prep and actual 13-day experience. And today we'll do the Collegiate Loop in one show. So I plan to cover about 15 to 20 minutes on the prep, 15 to 20 minutes on the trail. Hopefully I can do this, you know, every season. I, I can get out and do... Uh, an important trail, a longer trail, and that I can provide that detail and context uh, for these types of experiences. Today, specifically, I'll cover a little bit of the history and introduction to the Collegiate Loop, some of the numbers in terms of mileage, elevation, how to plan the trip, uh, including some trusted resources. I'm going to spend a little less time on kind of the gear and physical. What I'm going to do is share that in the blog post. So if you're interested in kind of the shakedown, the whole list, uh, I, I want to save that for online. We'll dive a little bit into it, though. And then obviously we'll cover kind of my day by day experience, spending eight days on the trail, um, giving you the details of campgrounds, favorite areas, kind of fun stories and mistakes I make along the way. So whether you're like living vicariously through other hikers or think you're going to step on the trail of this wonderful 160-mile hike, I hope you get some good tips on how to approach this hike or any other similar hike. Let's hit the music and get into it. All right, let's talk, let's talk Collegiate Loop. Uh, the Collegiate Loop is a 160-mile trail. It's a loop. Uh, with the north end being Twin Lakes and the south end being Monarch Pass, part of the Collegiate Leaf Peaks Wilderness and the Sawatch Range in Colorado. Uh, they added the Collegiate West in 2012. Um, what the loop is, is, is the left side or the west side is uh, about 80 miles of uh, and a part of the Continental Divide Trail, the National Scenic Trail that runs from New Mexico to Montana, to Canada, basically. And so that West Trail was added in 2012 as part of uh, an alternative route for CT hikers, which is the Colorado Trail. And the Colorado Trail runs from Denver to Durango, a 500-mile trail. And it historically is, is ran through the Collegiate Peaks Wilderness on what is now called the Collegiate East. Um, what they did in 2012 was added this alternative. So as you're hiking the Colorado Trail, typically from Denver to Durango, you have the option now to hike the west side or the east side, both around 80 miles. And so for those of us who aren't doing the Colorado Trail, it opened up an opportunity to do a loop that you could start at a Twin Lakes or a Monarch Pass and hike both the east and west, unlike those of the Colorado Trail, which have to pick one. It passes by approximately 10. 14,000 peaks, or they're called 14ers. Uh, being in the Collegiate Peaks Wilderness, they're named after um, typical like Ivy League schools. So you have a Mount Harvard, a Mount Princeton, a Mount Yale, among others. And, and a lot of people access the, these mountains through the Collegiate Loop or the hike part of the Collegiate Loop or those hiking the loop will do a couple of day trips and hit up a few 14ers, which is always an option. The terrain between the two is, is pretty similar. There's a lot of elevation gain up and down. It just so happens that the east side is a little bit lower, typically in the 8,500 to kind of 11,000 feet range. So you're more forested below the, the alpine tree line, uh, whereas the collegiate west side 
is typically around 10,000 to 12,500 feet. And so you're often above alpine uh, tree line, more exposed, more wind, but at the same time, many more beautiful views, often 360. The other cool thing about the West is you actually are kind of hopping back and forth on the Continental Divide. For those of you who know your geography, the west side of the Continental Divide, the watershed runs to the Pacific, the east side of the Continental Divide, the watershed runs along the Atlantic. So it's pretty cool kind of uh, to think about that as you're hiking the divide, how that is such an important spine uh, in terms of American geography. In terms of the numbers on the collegiate loop, as I mentioned, it's 160 miles. So when you're going to plan your trip and you know how much miles you want to average per day, you can do some pretty quick math. I'll, I'll give you a couple here. If you want to do it in five days, if you only had a week, that's 32 miles per day. I'm not doing that. Um, if you want to do eight days, that's 20 miles per day. Um, you want to do 10 days, 16 miles per day. And of course, if you wanted to spend basically two weeks, you're in between kind of that 10 and 11 miles per day. What's crazy as compared to my John Muir trail hike that I've previewed in season two it's basically the same elevation up and down with 60 less miles. If you recall, John Muir Trail being about 220 miles, this one's 160. So you're doing a lot of elevation climb, about 35,000 feet up, 35,000 feet down. Uh, you're doing 12-ish passes. It's, it's kind of hard to look at an elevation profile um, You know, when you have a mountain that looks like a capital letter M, as in max, like is that one pass or two passes? So you're, you're doing, in my count, approximately 12 passes. Um, and, and what I would categorize like three or four just super uphill grinds. We'll detail those in some of the days, but we're talking, you know, hiking three or four miles or of 2,500 to 3,000 feet in those miles. We're just kind of going straight up. In fact, six of, six of my eight days were 3,000 feet verticals. And one of them was a 4,000 foot vertical day. So you're really spending some time, particularly in, in my in my itinerary, uh, being eight days long, doing a lot of climbing. In terms of planning the trip, uh, the beautiful thing is you have multiple access points. As I mentioned, the, the kind of north end of the loop is Twin Lakes, um, which allows you to, to park. Um, or get dropped off and hop right onto the trail. Uh, similarly, on the, the southern end, you have Monarch Crest, Monarch Pass, or you could start in multiple places along the Collegiate East. Uh, Mount Princeton Hot Springs being an easy access point, as well as Silver Creek Trailhead. I believe there's a Cottonwood Lake Trailhead. You'll, you'll see in my experience, you run, a, run upon a, a lot of different campgrounds on the Collegiate East side. Whereas the Collegiate West, there's no access points beyond Cottonwood Pass Trailhead. And so you really, you, you typically start at, at either end or, or maybe somewhere in between like a Mount Princeton. As you'll read online, a lot of discussion on clockwise versus counterclockwise. Uh, the arguments that you typically hear online is that you should start on the Collegiate East being lower in elevation, just giving you more days of opportunity to get acclimated. You'll hear that argument. The Collegiate West is celebrated, I think, by nearly everybody as the better section. And being somebody who likes to save the best for last, I, I wanted to do the Collegiate East first to get my trail legs, to get my breath and cardio. But also, I wanted to end with the spectacular vistas that the Collegiate West offers. And so in terms of where you start, 
you have to kind of factor in those, those two points. Time of year, most people kind of do July to mid-September. Warranted, it is monsoon season there, which means around lunchtime, you're going to have threat of afternoon showers. And so building into your planning that you're not on top of a peak or a pass, you know, in that 12 to, to 3 or 4 p.m. range. So being cognizant about that, looking at the weather forecast before you go out is super helpful. Water sources, they're plentiful along the way. I, I would say maybe there's one eight-mile stretch where it was dry and it was pretty well marked in the maps. And the, the Gut Hook app that I was using, as well as the data book, you're going to know when that stretch happens and, and you just got to make sure to filter enough water to get through that. Other than that, I hiked in a, in a drought when Colorado was going through a drought um, and I still had plenty of water in those particular stretches. So not a, not a concern. You're, you're thinking of carrying maybe a liter at a time and refilling multiple times throughout the, the days. Some trusted resources that I used in terms of ones to bring with you, I brought in that geo map. I like having a, a printed map as well as the gut hook app. A lot of people swear by the Colorado Trail data book. As I mentioned in the introduction, uh, the collegiate loop is part of the Colorado Trail. Uh, being that those CTers have the option to hike the east or the west. And so you'll find both the east and the west in the Colorado Trail data book uh, with all the information around campgrounds, you know, river crossings, water resources, et cetera. I just found based off my research that I could color in a lot of the details I needed on my map and make notes elsewhere as well. Some other resources that I researched online, shout out to, to PMAGS, PMAGS.com. He has a detailed uh, breakdown of his hike through the collegiate loop, cleverhiker.com. Um, those two authors uh, had a good breakdown of all of the prep as well as their experience along the trail as well. In terms of resupply, depending on how long you're going to spend on the trail, in terms of shipping boxes ahead or going into town, you have multiple options. One, you have a couple of resupply opportunities on trail. So Mount Princeton, you could ship a box ahead. They, often, they also have a convenience store uh, in terms of buying what I'd like to call kind of snack re-ups. So bars, PB&J Uncrustables, which were a great find for me. Cheese, you know, cheese sticks or those little cheese wheels. Like I loaded up on a lot of those snacks for the, the upcoming day or two. And then Monarch Pass, less of a better convenience store in terms of Food takeaways, uh, you know, MREs, meals, you can get the bars and trail mix there, but you're not going to get some of that backpacking prep gear supply there. You're going to get more souvenirs. So if you want to, you know, take a Monarch Pass t-shirt, you're going to find it there amongst a lot of other things. So those are your kind of two on trail. Others, if they're spending more than eight days on the trail, they're going to they're gonna hop off at Salida. They're going to resupply at Twin Lakes. They're going to hop off trail and go to Buena Vista. And they're either going to hitch or have somebody, you know, organize their resupply for them to get into town or come up to meet them. But typically they hitch and, and, and you'll run into hikers who, who will speak to that. They'll, they'll go into those towns to resupply at your regularly grocery store. The great thing about the Collegiate Loop permits, um, just show up, nothing else. Show up to the trail. They have some trail logs. You can write your name and, and date entered, but nothing official in terms of either free or paid permits. 
So that's some of the planning. I give you some of the numbers of miles elevation, as well as kind of trusted resources in terms of how to prepare for your trip. I will note in terms of emergency preparedness, I did upgrade my emergency preparedness as compared to the John Muir Trail. I bought a spot. Um, the spot allows you to send pre-recorded kind of text messages, which allowed um, my buddy Will, who was on the National Park Draft, shout out, go listen to National Park Draft, a fun, fun podcast where we drafted national parks as if they were going to be on our own team that we manage. Um, my friend Will picked me up and dropped me off. And so having a, an ability to text him and say I'm on schedule, um, as well as my wife, just to let her know that I was on schedule, safe and sound. And so that was nice to have um, just to turn on and track me along the trail so they could follow me along. In terms of phone service, also that's key for emergency preparation, understanding your phone service. There's various intersections, campgrounds, roads, where you're going to all of a sudden start get text or you know stop and make a phone call. At Mount Princeton, you have access to that. There is no Verizon key information there at Monarch's Crest um, or Monarch's Pass, the general store. Uh, they are nice to let you use the phone, but they will tell you to make it quick. So go in there, make friends with them. I bought a few meals with them and chatted with them in the morning uh, just to warm them up and, and use their phone to call uh, my wife and let her know I was safe and sound. The other, the other Verizon bit there is at Boss Lake. You'll run into a bunch of people at Boss Lake uh, sitting on bags and congregating because they've, they've found cell service. The last thing, you have plenty of bailouts, like I said, various roads everywhere. So if you needed to get out due to injury or something's come up, I think probably eight to 10. So uh, if you do quick math, you're, you're within a day or a half day of a bailout uh, pretty much all the time. As I mentioned in the beginning, I'm not going to do a full shakedown of, of gear and kind of my physical training in, in in terms of what I did, the John Muir Trail episodes go into that deeply, and I followed a majority of that. The only different thing that I found interesting to mention in terms of gear is kind of the dilemma with um, storing food. On the John Muir Trail, you you have to bring a bear bin, uh, a hard shell, hard shell beer, bear bin. That's not required on this trail. And on the east side, you're under alpine uh, tree line. And so you could do a bear bag hang, which is what my plan was. But then I realized half of the trail is going to be above tree line. How am I going to hang a bear bag? And so I didn't like that option. I obviously didn't want to call, carry the bear bin. I didn't want to buy an ursac, And I'd seen kind of various success stories and reviews. And in talking to Andrew Skirka, who was on season two, he's got a wonderful blog post on kind of how to deal with bears in the various circumstances, when it's required, when it's not required. He's ad he's advocated sleeping with food. Obviously, you'll run into literature that does not suggest that. So it's each of the each to their own on how they stored food. I hadn't run into that thought stream um, and that literature on sleeping with food. Uh, some of the hikers I ran into were doing that. You are in bear country. I brought the bear bin because I I just wanted to have an option that I knew was reliable. Consequently, I dealt with that extra weight. And that's just something that I had to deal with being that I didn't want to do an ursac or bareback. The long story short, you need to figure out how you're going to store your food and what your level of risk and comfort is in doing so. In terms of physical training, I, uh, I ran into having less time 
to do hiking practice, less time to do core, less time to do cardio. I would say generally I'm fit. Generally I stay healthy. I did focus using my, my TRX setup on core. I did one 30 mile hike with about 15 pounds of weight. And I was, you know, running maybe twice a week there for a month and a half, two months. But that was less than what I did in JMT. And you'll come to find out in day one and day two that there, there, there's a consequence there. And I, it took me a day not to find my legs, but to find my cardio. And so, so that's it. That's all the prep. Um, hopefully you got a little taste of what the collegiate loop is like. What I want to do is now hop into my day-by-day experience. And my plan is to, you know, along those eight days, share maybe like three of my favorite campgrounds, maybe three of my favorite areas to spend some extra time. You know, a couple of fun stories and a couple of mistakes that I made along the way. As a reminder, what I'll do in addition to posting all of those details around gear, my, my training, um, I will share a photo album to accompany this these days. So it might be a good time if you're listening to this you're listening at home to, to pull up that photo album, you can kind of uh, track along with each day and my experiences along the trail. So let's hop into it. Day one, I actually started at Clear Creek, which is seven miles into the trail from Twin Lakes. Um, not to get too long-winded, but me and my buddy had done some other national park tricks prior to him dropping me off, and, and I had a plane that I needed to catch on the flip side. So I just wanted to have that cushion of kind of those seven miles that I could do on the backside. And so I started at Clear Creek. I would highly recommend starting at Twin Lakes. It's an easier elevation to intro. Uh, those seven miles are a pretty gentle climb. Instead, my first day started with 3,800 feet up and 1,000 down. And that 3,800 feet up was about 500 feet per mile. And so was just really into it right away. And, and that cardio and that lack of training that I mentioned just a few seconds ago uh, caught up. But it's a beautiful, these first few days, you're just walking through these aspen groves. You'll get through thick sections where, you know, it's shaded because there's so many aspen groves. Um, you'll go through thin sections um, with that beautiful afternoon light. You'll get these like windswept leaning aspen groves. And so that's that's the highlight of these first few days of, getting into the Collegiate Peaks Wilderness um, and just really enjoying that particular, you know, forested ecosystem. Got to Morrison Creek, about 17 miles, like good access, good water access. Chose that one just just because it it got me over those first kind of two passes and I wanted to be starting downhill for the next day. A, A tip, a reminder that night, I didn't do what I like to call good night hygiene and so sleeping in in the sleeping bag for the first night getting sticky you know what i learned on this trip and i know i learned it on the last one just make sure grab whatever towel or kind of a rag that you've brought put it in the creek and just kind of wipe that that dirt and grime and and sweat off for me by doing so um, you don't need soap but just to get that that grime off really allows you to have a better night's sleep. And so that's one tip that I'd forgot and then quickly learned in day one. By day two, I went from Morrison Creek to Maxwell Creek, uh, 22.7 miles. Did not learn my lesson in JMT and in terms of overextending myself. But there's just that eagerness when you start a new trail and, and you feel um, light of feet and you don't have necessarily all the pains and you just 
are excited to be out there. And so uh, it's about 3,700 feet up, 5,000 feet down. So a little bit more downhill, a little bit easier of a day, but more miles. And so again, more aspen groves. We had a lot of great views of Granite, Colorado to the east and the valley to the east. Uh, Harvard Lakes, kind of the first water feature, beautiful lunchtime sitting. If you can time your lunch up with the Harvard Lakes. And, you, you know, you come across multiple road crossings, campground, bathrooms. That second part of the day, you climb up to Silver Creek, super grueling because you, you do um, 2,500 feet in about three miles. So if you remember day one, I was doing 500 foot elevation miles. This was an 800 foot elevation mile. And it just, it never went down. It just was vertical. Rest started running into folks on the trail. Always good to socialize. Ran into a wonderful couple named Coyote and Redwood. They helped me out with some water filtration. I actually ran into them on day three. Uh, but just hiked with them for maybe four miles. We ended up camping pretty close to each other, not knowing that. And that second night campsite at Maxwell Creek, I set up my tent and realized there was maybe four or five trees that were dead and leaning on other trees. And so I ended up went and pushing those trees down. And Coyote and Redwood had asked me the next morning, like, God, did you hear all those trees falling down? Like we were freaking out. And I was like, oh yeah, I was just pushing them down so they didn't like blow down onto my tent. So on day three, we went from Maxwell Creek to Blank Gulch, uh, about 21 miles, which included a two mile hitch. We'll get into that in a second, about 3,000 feet up. This day we arrived at Mount Princeton. Um, I had breakfast, I ran into Coyote and Redwood, had breakfast with them which was fantastic. Uh, they have a great restaurant, as I mentioned, a great convenience store. Spent about an hour and a half, maybe two hours there, charging cell phones, charging the power bank that I brought along, chatting with others who were going in reverse on, on the trail, and just you know spending two hours, even though it was only day three, just kind of in real civilization for a second. Then I, you know, the next two miles out of Mount Princeton are on the road. And a lot of a lot of people want to hike those two miles. I was open to to getting a hitch, stuck my thumb out. I'm not an expert hitchhiker, but was just sticking my thumb out to see if anybody would take. And a, a nice young kid, probably you know 23 years old, working at a, at another resort in that area, picked me up and we chatted. You know, for the five minutes that I was in the car and got to know each other, and he dropped me off, and it saved me a lot of time. So that was basically day three. Uh, after that hitchhike, yeah, it was a pretty simple trail. That's that's that eight eight mile stretch with that water. So just making sure um, you were prepped there. Run on running into cattle on the trail and having a couple of stair downs where you you had to walk around them or basically bluff at them so they would get out of your way. So had a couple of those on this particular trail. Run across a lot of different boundaries, whether national forest or wilderness sections or private property. And so that is to be expected. On day four, I went from Blank Gulch to Monarch Pass. This is a day where I, I meet a few people going on the collegiate loop the other direction. So I'm going clockwise. If you So I'm doing the collegiate east first. Um, I'm basically at like three or four o'clock right now on the clock. And I ran into two folks could go in counterclockwise where they started at Monarch Pass and went the other way. What's cool about that is if you, you talk to them, and get to know their itinerary. I, I'd mentioned, well, I'll see you on the other side. And you kind of start to map out in all your free time as you're walking along. Oh, I might see them on day seven. So you make a note of their name, 
and kind of make a note for that particular day that you might run into them. So that did that a couple of times with a few folks. One little tip that I learned on this day, I, I didn't have good water access the previous night. And so I started my day hiking right out of the gate, you know, no, no meal prep, just pack up, go. And I walked about three miles and then stopped and made breakfast, aired some of the gear out, did water filtration. And I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed varying my mornings up between just getting it, getting up and going and then, and then having a little bit of a break three to five miles in or finding a way to do a better morning routine where I was able to break the camp down and have a cup of coffee and breakfast without really getting out of the town. So I'll talk about that a little bit later. But in this particular morning, the opposite happened. Get up, go three miles down the trail, have breakfast, air some gear out, filter the water, cross US 50, which is basically a highway freeway, and then hiked about three miles up a gravel road. I was hoping to hitch, uh, was really reveling in my experience from the previous day, and then uh, was not successful on this one. Uh, as a hiker, you see, always seem like you're looking out for that trail magic, and sometimes it mas- manifests itself, and sometimes it doesn't. On this day, you do a really nice climb up Foos Creek, and at the end of that climb, you are officially done with Collegiate East. And so you've hit that southern point, spent about five miles on this beautiful ridge, your first kind of real true ridge, unforested ridge. And I happened to hit mine on a very windy day, and so it immediately became like, Let's take a few panoramas and then let's get off this ridge. One mistake that I'll did a detail, and I, I kind of predicted it looking at the map, understanding the topo, I was doubting there would be good campsites on this ridge and there wasn't, but that was the plan. I could have camped just below the ridge, um, but I had extra time and thought, well, I'll just walk the ridge and hope that I run into a campsite. There's maybe one on that ridge, but what I did is I ended up getting to the Monarch Pass General Store Grabbed a quick dinner. They have like your convenience store type dinners, like a hot dog. But for some reason, that sounds delicious when you've been four days in the wilderness. And tried to call my wife, just tried to text her. But as I mentioned, doesn't have Verizon service up there. Talked to the folks there. They recommended actually just below the general store, right? Maybe like 500 feet below the freeway. There's just a little alcove where you can kind of camp. So I camped basically by the general store. Um, but the funny story there being is all of a sudden my wife's looking at my spot device and it, it says that I've basically stopped on a freeway. And so that was a little disconcerting to her. But then she listened to her voicemails and figured out that I was at the general store and just camping nearby. Um, so that's just one little tip on this loop hike is there isn't really much around Monarch Pass. Um, so you might want to try to camp on the Foos Creek side or the Boss Lake side. You want about a three to five mile walk into the pass. If you're like me, you can stay right next to the pass, next to the general store. And I popped up at 8.30 and uh, went in and got breakfast the next day. So that's hopping into day five. I am basically started at a general store. I had dinner there the previous night. I went in there and got a breakfast because it was a fresh coffee and a sausage biscuit. And I spent about 17 miles hiking to Hancock Lakes. Was really excited to get to Hancock Lakes. I heard about them. Um, at this point, as you've already heard, there wasn't, there hasn't been many water features in terms of lakes. And so I was really looking forward to a lake shower. You get to Hancock Lakes, 3,600 feet up, 2,800 down. Um, you go by some of the ski lifts there at Monarch Pass. Ran into a, a guy named David who's from Portland. 
who uh, works in sustainability, has a lot of similarities in my interests. And so I hiked with him all day. We had lunch uh, along this beautiful vista. This is the first time where you're starting to get westward views and getting 360 degree views. You're doing hiking for a good dozen of those 16 miles along ridges. Um, so you're just getting these incredible above tree line views. It's really your first like entrance into the Collegiate West. And being that we we're having such great conversation, I reflect back and, and don't necessarily remember all of those views, but it was good to, to catch up, meet a new friend on the trail. As I mentioned, when you hit Boss Lake, you can make a quick phone call. Alerted my wife that I was not staying on the freeway. So we cleared that up. And then I hustled. Um, I hustled the Hancock Lakes so I could do a little lake shower. Nobody was there, which was amazing because supposedly these lakes are just packed on weekends. And and did a lake shower and had a wonderful night's worth of sleep because I had, uh, you know, a clean body in which I didn't stick to my sleeping bag. Favorite campsite for sure. Number one campsite, Hancock Lakes. Lake shower is fun. I brought these little trail slippers along. They're not heavy duty at all. Basically, I've worn them out walking on gravel through eight nights. Um, but I'm running around campsite by myself in the Hancock Lakes, basically into my my sleeping gear with these little trail slippers, running between the lake, just, just full of adrenaline excitement because you had the sun down um, and the beautiful light reflecting on the mountains. Just a beautiful camp location. So highly recommend Hancock Lake. I did six, uh, started at Hancock Lakes and went to Sanford Saddle. Probably the best day of hiking. Uh, 22 miles. Did, this was my big 4,000 foot day, and I'll detail why. It's about 4,800 feet up. And you, I started my day by running into somebody who said there's a moose just up the, the, the walkway. And so maybe a mile in, I spent about 20 minutes watching two moose forage through the grass, both males. Big, big antler racks, just phenomenal way to start the day. And then hiked through Alpine Tunnel, a lot of good history, a lot of good signage about these trains that used to travel through that particular area. One of the more dangerous sections to run trains through, and there's stories of them tipping, and you start to, you, you walk the trail where the train, I guess, used to be. A really nice entry to the day, seeing some wildlife, learning a little bit of history of the region. The rest of the day is spent going over about four passes. So you, you get up, you know, and then you come down about a thousand feet and you climb up a thousand and go down and a lot of beautiful, each, each pass you're entering a different bowl, a different kind of mini basin. Um, and so you're getting different topographies, different views. The first one going up Sawmill Hill, super forested. The next one, you're kind of in this bowl of scree. And then the next few, you're, you're not even on trail anymore. You're just walking along Talus Rock which can be pretty painful in the feet when you're doing eight to 10 miles of it consistently. So you kind of slow down, you're kind of crawling through these passes. And I would say between the base of Sawmill Hill and Cottonwood Pass, which I'll detail, there isn't that many campsites. There's maybe one or two flat sections. And so if you're going through that stretch, you're likely gonna have to hike down into the basin or bowls of these respective passes and sleep down there. And so you have to deal with that in your planning. I didn't know that going in, but somehow I just lucked out by kind of sleeping at Hancock Lakes and then sleeping really close to Cottonwood Pass and doing this 22 mile day. But there isn't much. 
And so you ran into a lot of people, a lot of trail talk on this day, talking about water, where's water, where's creeks, and also, hey, is there a campsite up here? Gauge that intel, talk to multiple folks. Don't trust the first one. I've, I've found on this particular stretch, people saying there is not a campsite in the distant future. And then you walk it and you're like, you could camp there. And so you want to talk to multiple people about some of this stuff with regards to water and campsites and really get a better picture as you're approaching these passes. One tip for you as you get over Sanford Saddle, which was not detailed in people using any maps that weren't Nat Geo, you get over the Sanford Saddle, which is on the divide. So you're literally on the east side and then you flip over to the west side. And I think maybe the first time that you're really on the west side of the Continental Divide. And if you go about two more miles, just go ahead and star Lost Lake, L-O-S-T, Lost Lake. I had thought that there's a good campsite there. I had learned that if you hike down to it, you could you could camp next to Lost Lake. But I was running up into 22 miles, and at that point, I was looking for anything that I thought was flat. So I stopped maybe a mile or two short of Lost Lake and slept on a, a pretty steep slope. And one tip that I've uh, that I learned that night is when you're trying to attempt to, to sleep on that slope, I actually kind of half slept on the ground and half slept on a pad. I think when you're on a pad and in your sleeping bag, you're going to slide to the bottom of the tent. And so if you can warm up and it's not too cold of a night, to put your body on the ground gives you a little bit of grip. And I actually didn't have that bad a night of sleep, weirdly enough, because I was on a pretty steep section. And so I don't think you'll find that tip on a blog post. I don't know if it would work for me a second time, but on a steep slope, I knew I was going to slip down and I was not going to sleep. So I was like, I got to find a part of my body, either my legs or upper body, that's kind of gripping the ground through the tent. So the disappointing thing is the next morning I started my hike and I ran into the Lost Lake viewpoint and there's this perfect platform, maybe 20 feet off the trail that I think you would have had. And it was maybe my favorite Vista view of the whole trip. And so Star Lost Lake, whether you can camp there, overlooking Lost Lake or hiking down to Lost Lake, I, I notified at least five people after I left that you should camp there because it, it was an unfound campsite with one of the most pretty vistas of the Rocky Mountains where you get those layers. And if you haven't gotten into the Rockies or hiked the Rockies, you don't understand those layers that you that you don't see for Denver. From Denver, you see just kind of this gradual mountain mountainous climb. That particular view, you just saw so many peaks sandwiched in there together. And so spent some time there. And so this whole morning from Sanford Saddle to Lake Ann, about 21 miles, I slowed down because everything between Sanford Saddle and Cottonwood Pass Trailhead, super beautiful. Ridge walk the whole way, east and west side, 360 degree views, which you don't get often on this trail. That's the spot. Spend time there. And you're on the Continental Divide. You're literally walking the divide. To the left flows the Pacific. To the to the right, it flows to, to the Atlantic. And so if you're not interested in doing the collegiate loop, you know, 38 minutes into this podcast, there's a tip. Just go to Cottonwood Pass and day hike that section, and you would, you would be going south from Cottonwood Pass Trailhead. So the cool thing about this day, beyond all those views, I, I got to the Pass Trailhead, ran into a van. They just had a cool van. You could tell it was um, kind of a self-supported van. Um, you could tell that they had done a lot of work to it. So I stopped and chatted to these guys, and his fiance was trying to run 
an FKT, a fast, fastest known time. She was trying to run the whole loop in a certain amount of time. I don't remember how many hours, um, but they were there to support her as she ran through. It was too bad, though. The fires were just starting to, to come up, so the air quality was getting worse. So I, I'm not sure. They were worried that she would not be able to finish just due to the air quality. This is also one of the days where I ran into one of the hikers that's on the other side. So we were on top of the ridge, and I said, hey, I saw you a few days ago over, you know, at Blank Gulch. And, and we sat there and chatted, and he told me about what I was about to do, and I told him about what he's about to do, and we went along our way. This uh, day, day seven, ended with Lake Anne, what is known as one of the best campgrounds on the loop. I definitely have it top two. It's top two because everybody else was there as well. It's a beautiful campsite. You hit Lake Anne, which is a pretty uh, rough climb, about two, two and a half miles. You get over the pass and Lake Anne's just sitting there. You walk down a lot of Talos Rock to get there and you pop in. I had another lake shower. I had a wonderful dinner. A lot of people in the area to catch up with. And that's where I ended my day seven. We're rounding out the podcast. My day was pretty quick. Uh, started Lake Ann. You, you cruise seven miles down, um, which is always a fun start to the day. I always try to end with a pass and then start my next day going down. Lots of water crossings. Um, you're hitting uh, Hope Pass, um, which is the steepest part of the Collegiate Loop at two, two and a half miles as well. Um, if you're going clockwise, if you're going counterclockwise, it, it's like a seven to 10 mile slog. So high recommendation for going clockwise because coming down off of Hope Pass, I couldn't imagine coming up that other way. It was a seven to 10 mile grind. And so this two, two and a half, just, you know, kind of doing short sprints through getting up that thing. Once you hit that pass, you knew you were, you were home free, um, cruised, as I mentioned, down those 10 miles. Highly recommend the clockwise for that particular pass alone. And then I had my friend pick me up at the Interlocking Trailhead and Trail in Twin Lakes. And we went to Leadville. High recommendation for going to Leadville. A couple of good restaurants, a couple of good diners for that burger. You're looking for that fried food. You're looking for that beer. Leadville, big win there for me. So that's the recap. Thank you for listening along the way. I, I do encourage you to go take a look at photos uh, to accommodate those. I will split them into days. Do want to end the, the podcast with kind of a couple of quick recaps and key learnings. We've talked about where to enter the loop. I think Twin Lakes is the best option. Mount Princeton also is a great option, but I loved having Mount Princeton being that on-trail stopping point. And if you start there, you don't get that, right? And so you, you either start at Twin Lakes Trailhead, which is not actually in Twin Lakes, by the way. And so unlike Mount Princeton and Monarch, which is on the trail, Twin Lakes, you're, you you got to go off the trail. And so by starting there, you're not using up one of your on-trail kind of resupplies, and you're allowing yourself three to six to eight days to hit those other two. And, and you'll see that on the blogs. A lot of people say that. And one caveat is a lot of people say the east side is just some, they make it sound like it's some gentle walk. By day two, you were hitting two, two of the steepest climbs, in my opinion. Um, that went up to Pine Creek, um, which I didn't mention on day one. Pine Creek, great campsite. I didn't stay there. If you can get to there and make that your, your first night's campsite, I think it's about 15-ish miles from Twin Lakes. That's where you should stay. But that climb to Pine Creek and then conversely on day two for me to Silver Creek are climbs. And so 
Don't go in thinking the collegiate East is some gentle walk. Some other key learnings, differences between this trail and the JMT. I need to quit mixing beef jerky with trail mix. Those flavors uh, don't necessarily work well. I have to remind myself that I'm always in the mood for more salty food. Do salty food. Quit thinking you're going to enjoy sweets. I did throw some coconut flakes on top of the trail mix. Big, big win there because those pack, pack some calories. And it's just a nice little topper for your trail mix. I brought some olive oil and some travel size containers that I added to some of my meals just for caloric intake. Last time on the JMT, I used a solar charger. At this time, I, I knew it would be only eight days. So I brought a power bank, which gave me a couple days. And then I was able to charge cell phones in Mount Princeton on our class. So did not need the solar charging. As I've mentioned a few times, the elevation gain off the couch was real from a cardio perspective. So this is a trail due to the amount of climbing that you should train adequately for. I'll take that back. You need to train above adequately because I probably trained adequately for it. Spot was a great way to stay connected. Definitely support having some sort of emergency beacon device. And one thing that I alluded to earlier was this daily routine of being disciplined. And so it wasn't about hiking aggressively. It was about just getting more time on the trail. So I woke up between 5.30, 5.45, went, got my bear bin, and then broke down camp inside of my tent, um, got dressed inside of my tent, even had a cup of coffee inside of my tent, and then had some snacks. And you think that sounds like a lazy morning, um, but between me you know, running back and forth and trying to do it all outside of the tent. It was just a, a gentle way to start, but I was able to, you know, wrap up camp in 30, 40 minutes most days. And I'm usually a slow starter at home. So that, that accommodated my kind of preference to get going. And so that daily routine of just being disciplined and then like looking for camp between 5.30 and 6.30, those days where you just keep pressing and you maybe walk by a beautiful campsite, but it's only 5.30 and you want to get an extra hour in. I just think you need to, to set a, a spot, a time of the day in which you're like, I accept a beautiful camp spot. And sometimes I did that and sometimes I didn't. Finally, my last thing is, is just, as I mentioned, socialize on the trail. I'm, I'm hiking by myself. So getting information from folks, meeting people. This is now the second long trail where I've left with people's contact information, where I'm reaching out to them when I get home. You just meet really authentic, trustworthy people on the trail. There's something about those who put 20 to 30 to 40 pounds of weight on their back that dedicate full entire days and weeks and sometimes months to walking and enjoying the beautiful outdoors. And those types of people typically are super enjoyable to be around. So make sure you're doing your part to be a part of the trail, be a part of that community. Make sure you're doing your part as you're entering into hiking cities and hiking communities to leave them better than you found them and to give hikers a good name. And so just that socialization on the trail and being able to clear that headspace, disconnecting from all your normal work life or normal home life and being able to, what I like to say, enjoy the defrag of decluttering the mind and just entering into walk, eat, sleep kind of state. And so this loop offers a beautiful opportunity to do that. 160 miles with differing terrains, differing ecosystems, differing wildlife, and differing views along the way. I think it was a great introduction if you're trying to get away from three-day, two-nighters, 
from weekend camping and you want to test yourself into something that's a little bit more difficult, this along with the John Muir Trail obviously give you that opportunity to test yourself physically, test yourself mentally, but have you know some safe outs in case things do go wrong, being connected to civilization, having opportunities to resupply at, at trusted sources. Um, it's a pretty safe introduction into long distance hiking. Again, I hope you enjoyed that breakdown either vicariously through me or as someone who is prepping for this for this hike. I know when I prep for similar hikes, it's blog post, blog post, blog post. It's data books, data books, and maps. Hopefully this is just another opportunity to hear it from somebody who's done the hike um, and hear a little bit more details about those days around along camp spots, ridges, and, and the different aspects that this trail brings. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next show.